Huntsville in History uncovers the stories of Huntsville, Alabama, the first township of the Alabama Territory and the site of the region's oldest archives. Based on court cases and primary sources of the time, historian John O'Brien and co-host Ben Job guide you through the bizarre, surprising, and sometimes deeply troubling records that make up Huntsville's history. So we have a really fantastic case. I don't know why I pot. It's because I got uh, I got sick in Virginia. So we've got a really fantastic court case to talk about today from the 1820s. Mm-hmm. This another uh, Huntsville Madison area one. Yeah, this is this is specifically just Huntsville, just Madison County. I don't know if you've noticed, but I I tend to focus just on oh, yeah. North Alabama. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I got a book deal. What? That's amazing. Yeah. I, last thing, last bit of banter. Someone found Huntsville in the blog, and they uh-huh. were like, do you want to write a book? Here's... Yes. I was like, yes. That's so, always the best way to get a, make a book, is if somebody's <laughs> like, you should probably do this. Would you like... We, I'm from... A, a press would you want to write a book about north alabama history i was like i was doing it for free anyway like <laughs> that's amazing though yeah do you know like how, what the length on the book is or is uh, it it's all done now it's got to be forty thousand words mm-hmm. and so i i just took stuff from the site and i'm lengthening it and, right yeah, right yeah doing a little more research going a little more in depth uh, yeah, this won't be in it. This is gonna be kind of like its own separate thing, definitely. But do you find out some uh, neat stuff, like reworking some of the cases? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because mm-hmm. some of the things, it's like I don't know, like William Badger, right? Who mm-hmm. was a silversmith in Huntsville, who got assaulted like nine times in one month. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just going through and being like, ah, oh, he owed a lot of people, buddy, like. Things like that, like it's yeah, a good time. yeah, you find you find the villains quick. <laughs> they they do jump out in Huntsville. Oh yes, the villains. Back to it. I made a face. All right. <clears throat> so this is actually one of only two court cases I've ever found where just ever I. I lied. I don't look at a lot of documents. No, I'm joking. This is one of only two court cases I've ever found where um, it included enslaved people. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that it's the only that I've only found two case- cases that mentioned enslaved people. But usually when they do show up, it's they're like in a will or in a right. divorce case. And they're just like people arguing over property. And it's real gross and mm. kind of disheartening because they'll be like. A 15-year-old girl named yeah, Nora worth name. $300. Yeah. And so this is one of only two where they've been primary actors. And so this is actually in 11 enslaved people suing two white men for their freedom in 1828 in Madison yes. County. Wow. And when I found that, I was like, how did I miss this the first time? For this sure. Is, that's this huge. Insane. Did they, do you know, did they have representation or did they just represent themselves or? Uh, they had a next friend and mm-hmm. people who listened to the show previously will know that a next friend is usually like a relative or someone that you know and the next friend shows up and is like, hey, I will represent you person that cannot legally represent themselves. Yeah, And so... That was really strange. The next friend for them was a man named Robert Malone, 
And we don't know if Robert Malone was just like a friend of their previous owner or if Robert Malone was in a relationship with any of them or if he was like related to them. We don't even know if Robert Malone was like a white man or like a free black person. Mm -hmm. Zero. No info on him. Zero info. We just know that Robert Malone existed and that he was willing to put up money and represent them and like represent them as a person in court. He still had to hire a lawyer. I'd, right. But yeah, just to yeah. Because like, I figure just getting like someone to represent you or even having the judge hear your case, I doubt an enslaved person could go up there and just be like, "Hey, I've got a petition for you." Well, here's the like for the most part, yes, but in the eighteen. 18- 30s mm-hmm. is when a lot of the crackdowns and loopholes like legal loopholes that enslaved people would use uh were kind of destroyed nationwide it was mm. it was after the uh nat turner rebellion in mm-hmm. virginia in like 1831 which and was which was huge news huge which news. was a, a, <clears throat> a thing that had to happen like it wasn't like news was consumed all the time all, for everybody though yeah it was it was a an event definitely that, made waves. Yeah, it shook the South, mm-hmm. right? It shook all of the slaveholding regions of the United States, and so in the 1830s, you see this huge crackdown where suddenly they're like, maybe enslaved people shouldn't be able to have jobs on their own, or shouldn't be able to like sell things in their downtime, or uh, have their own houses. Mm. That was a big one that. Suddenly they were like, oh, because there were a few places where like enslaved folks still had like they were like, I bought some cheap land that no one wanted. And I like built a cabin and I'm still a slave, but I have this little bit of property rights. Yeah. Well, I have this little bit of autonomy Mm. and it was that little bit of autonomy that uh, was terrifying. Oh, yeah. For they're just thinking of ways they could snuff out any of like their independence or. Absolutely. And so that's where kind of, oh, putting the coffee down. That's where, that's where we get sort of our, a lot of our ideas about the slavery in the time period is from like the 1830s and 1840s when it had reached sort of this critical mass of cruelty Mm. where any, anything that was human or, any lasting remnant of sort of independence or self possession was being brutally stamped out. Mm, mm-hmm. And so uh, obviously it wasn't much better prior to that, but there was still little flashes. So in the 1820s in the 1810s is the most likely time period you would see in American history, at least uh, people coming forward and being like, no, I have this right. And so, uh, what ends up happening is I'm going to read their names. Uh, they unfortunately didn't have any last names, but so there's 11 of them. Um, there's, but there's only 10 names. So there's adults, Isabel, Daniel, Nancy, Peter, George, Liberty, which, threw me off it took me forever to decipher that name because like mm-hmm. it's written in cursive and so I was like i don't 
Oh yeah, and I had never seen it before. So Lebedee and the L's Noah. and the B's and the exactly old old script. I mean, yeah, and plus it didn't help that like they had just gotten a new scribe. It was like halfway through the book, so the first half of the book I had gotten used to that guy's handwriting, yeah. and then oh, new guy. I love how you talk about like your superheroes. Sometimes you're like, this guy wrote so clearly. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Thank goodness for this dude. <laughs> no, I I love like the good scribes i want to yeah. like have like a little altar in my house too like for, i mean they're time travelers man they, yeah they can like, serve those those little uh mess ups those uh spell checks are gonna screw stuff up later on no oh doubt. my gosh yeah like day of the dead have a little ofrenda be like mm. this guy did a great job of penmanship <laughs> um so yeah the adults are isabel daniel nancy peter george lebedee and noah mm. and then there's children and so that was something that I really thought was interesting. There's um, Minerva, Sally, Cornelius, and blank. There was a there was an infant who hadn't uh, been named yet, mm-hmm. who was still party to the suit, um, and we still see that nowadays. Like there was a mm-hmm. Supreme Court case a few years ago uh, that was adoptive couple versus baby girl, mm. right? Like yeah. babies can still sue people in the united states um so as long the, as somebody's paying the lawyers they're all exa- down for it exactly <laughs> exactly and so the infant uh just always appeared as a blank space mm-hmm. they would just leave like enough room for a name do you know if it was true i've i've heard i've heard this i don't know if that's just conjecture that people were named later on like earlier in history yeah. so you might not have a name until you're like well it's He's three, and he's really, like, acting up in a certain way, so we're going to call him such and such, you know? Yeah, so a lot of times people would not name a kid until they were, like, one and a half to two years old Mm. because you don't want to go and name somebody if they're going to die. Infant mortality, yeah. Yeah, so this whole concept of, like, we have to name them on the first day. Right, or before. Yeah, that's, Mm -hmm. uh, that's really just a product of are great medicine mm-hmm. so yeah the infant mortality rate was atrocious and like there are some cultures where they didn't even name where they had like a milk name once mm-hmm. they were two but they didn't get like an official member of the community name until they were like five or so right and so it's just because uh i had a professor one time who put it like if you made it to five right you were probably going to make it to 15 and if you yeah. made it to 15, you'd probably make it to 60. Like, mm. people still lived to, mm-hmm. like, their mid-50s and stuff. It's just, you know, the average lifespan was 20 because oh, yeah. all the babies died. Mm-hmm. I'd, That's a good fact for people to know, too. Yeah. So some people are like, everybody died at 12. <laughs> it's like, no, that's, that's not how civilization works. I don't know how it worked, yeah. it worked but they all died at <laughs> 19 <laughs> you, you came out of the womb and you picked up a hammer like no oh, man like <laughs> i mean there were definitely people that had jobs when they were three. Oh yeah don't get me wrong yeah. like that was because it's like if you could walk you could stamp on this flower come it, on yeah i mean the past <laughs> is horrifying like that's yeah but but yeah like if you made it to you make it to five you'd make mm-hmm, it to 15 mm-hmm make it to 15 as long as you didn't fall off a horse or get shot you'd make it to 60 like all right so those are the those are the people there's a bunch of adults there's a couple of kids and 
on August 13th, 1828, they brought a suit in Madison County in Huntsville mm-hmm. against two white men, Elijah Stamps and Joshua Stamps. Now, let's start the convoluted tale of how they got to this point, all right? So, all of these enslaved people had previously belonged to a man named Thomas Jones. On August 9th, 1821, Thomas Jones dies, right? Homeboy dies, don't know of what, don't know how, Mm. but that's really very much a side thing. Right. Thomas Jones, in his will, declared that all of his enslaved people, with their increase, so that's any future children they have, all the enslaved people, with their increase, would serve his wife, Rachel Jones, and then after she died, they would become free people. Mm -hmm. And so they were just like, I can handle that. Yeah. So Rachel Jones goes and lives six more years. Now, in the court case, they, to kind of, like, appeal to the audience, they're like, and we did a really good job. We served her faithfully. We were loyal. We were all over the place. We, like, built her a house. Yeah. You know, they were, like, really playing up the fact that we followed the rules. Mm. And we were promised something. Yeah. So Rachel Jones dies in 1827. Mm. Here's the problem. Rachel Jones got remarried. Oh, yeah, yeah. To a man named William Stamps. Mm. Now, he's not either Elijah or Joshua, but here's the thing. Um, I don't know if anyone remembers one of our previous episodes. We talked about married women's property law mm-hmm. and the 1839 case in Mississippi. Do you remember that? I remember talking about it, yeah. Yeah. And so, this is 1828. The very first Mary Woman's property law is like <laughs> 10 years away. Yeah. So automatically, whenever a woman would remarry, when she All became fem, fem covert again, yeah. her legal entity and possessions were now bound up in her husband. Mm-hmm. And so William Stamps is like, yeah, I don't, I don't care if she died or if there was like a previous will for some guy I never met. Right. Legally, you're mine now. Mm-hmm. And they were like, damn. So this is what happens. Well, it's it's huge because it like this crosses uh, females' rights, yeah. slave rights. Absolutely. Um, and like wills like this. I, I'm surprised you missed this one, too, because it covers so many like different aspects of the law, too. Well, yeah. How'd you find this one again? Like, just so you know. Um, well, were you looking at another one of your other cases or? Well, I just, I realized that the first few times I had gone through, I gone through like these hundreds of court cases. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had just been looking for funny stuff uh, or like mm-hmm. divorces or things where I was like, oh, that's a murder. Or that's an assault, but so I went through and I started rereading every single mm. case when I when I got bored in Colombia, right? <laughs> like, because you can't go be a tourist every day for a month. You yeah. you gotta have some downtime. And so, yeah, I got bored in like Colombia or Mexico, and I didn't feel like 
taking the subway to go see some beautiful artwork or something, right? Like, <laughs> it sounds like such a, it sounds like such a awful thing to say, but like <laughs> when I didn't want to engage in mm-hmm. these wonderful cultures and places, I would just, I had gone and I had downloaded back down into your, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, down in that, that addiction deep core. You gotta get this court cases, man. <laughs> but yeah, so I had downloaded, <laughs> I had downloaded, uh, pretty much all of the Madison County archives. Wow. How much is, how many gigs is that? Uh, it's a lot, but yeah. I had an external hard drive with yeah, a couple yeah. of terabytes on it. And so I brought, I, that's cool that you can carry around the entire Madison <laughs> archive. So like in your pocket now, <laughs> right? Technology. We live in the future. Yep. Fun fact, but yeah, so like I had the entire Madison County archives on an external hard drive. Uh, well, not all, not all of them, yeah. but like up until the Civil War, like everything mm-hmm. that happened for like <laughs> for like fifty, sixty years Dang. in one place. Uh, and so I would plug that in, and I would just going through, and I'm just reading, and I found this, and I was just like, John, you're so stupid. This is amazing. How did you miss this? Uh, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like this, like you said, this is every kind of history yeah. in one spot. Mm-hmm. And so, so William Stamps. Mm-hmm. So listed as the defendant on this one. No, or he's he's not the defendant. <laughs> well, get this. So William Stamps actually goes and he hires out six of them to a man named David Monroe. Mm. And this was actually how most small slaveholders made their money. Everyone likes to think about cotton plantations mm-hmm, or this, that, mm-hmm. and the other. But no, like you would go and you'd be like, what do you know how to do? And then they would get hired out to someone else. And so they would work for a much cheaper wage. And like all of that wage would go, obviously, to their owner. Mm. But so Frederick Douglass actually talks about when he got hired out he knew how to caulk boats. And so that's what he was doing in Maryland. He was working just caulking boats in Hmm. a shipyard, which is not usually like our image of slavery in the United States, but it's very skilled labor. Yeah. 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 Like he had to, he had to like go through an apprenticeship and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then he was making, I, he was actually still making like a dollar, or some like a month or a week or something. And the vast majority of it was still going to uh, his owner Mm -hmm. or whatever. But yeah, this was, this was how everyone, this was how most people made their money. Like most people couldn't afford to have a giant plantation and then also a bunch of slaves and then pay for that upkeep and this, that like it was, it's ridiculous to think that, every slave owner was and mm-hmm. and so like that's actually kind of the more horrifying aspect of of it for me because it's kind of like it'd be like if you went up to a prison nowadays and you could just like rent a prisoner which i mean yeah. you can but like as a private individual instead of as a mm-hmm. corporation so like i need some help with this digging this ditch i'll go yeah next door and yeah yeah and i mean well, it's I mean, like a it's like a lease system for human beings or something. Well, I mean, yeah, like the convict lease system in the southeast mm. uh that ran for decades after the end of slavery. 
I mean, there's a really good book, Slavery by Another Name. Mm -hmm. And that's why all of a sudden you started seeing draconian laws across the Southeast. And they would just go round up a bunch of black guys. And like that's how they built Birmingham. Mm. Tennessee Coal and Iron was like one of the biggest slavers of all time. But, you know, there's hotels and stuff dedicated to them. Where like in the law, yeah. they're like, look at our glorious history. And it's like, you killed thousands yeah. of people. This is evil like mm, fundamental mm -hmm. but anyways tangents yes uh yeah so william stamps uh all right so there's thomas jones he dies widow rachel jones she goes and gets remarried she dies all of her property including these 11 humans now goes to now goes to william stamps william stamps rents them out to a man named david monroe and on January 1st, 1829, he would have been a pretty wealthy guy having the incomes or wages of six humans coming to him. Mm -hmm. And they, they still did monthly payments or whatever. But so he dies. Mm. So these people have been through three different masters in six years, six or seven years. 1828. William Stamps dies. Guess what William Stamps has? A will. Brothers. Oh god. <laughs> he he oh, has so brutal. He has no debts, he has no children, but homeboy has brothers. Uh Joshua and Elijah who mm -hmm. are the defendants in this case. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So convoluted web, right? So Joshua and Elijah have still been going and they've been collecting the money that mm -hmm. David Monroe has been sending and the people, the 11, right? The 11 freak out when in the summer of the very early summer of 1828. So like June or something, mm -hmm. uh, Elijah, I believe no, Joshua st Stamps attempted to run off and sell Daniel. That's a literal quote from the case. They're mm -hmm. like, he was going to run off and sell him. Yeah. And so the they all go and they found Robert Malone. And they were like, hey, we have legal standing to sue for our freedom. And Robert Malone was like, I guess you do. Mm-hmm. Except they didn't. It was unfortunate. Uh, so when this all happened, keep in mind that in that year, in January of 1828, in Huntsville, there, had, uh, there was a man named John Robinson who had been a slave, but he was freed by the state legislature. And that's how you had to do it in Alabama at the time. Mm. All manumissions, all emancipations still went through the state legislature. Ah, so they didn't even recognize it unless it was done by them. Exactly. Now, Judge Taylor, uh, John M. Taylor, Taylor, I think his middle name is Mia mm -hmm. or something, Mila. Uh, Taylor, who, fun fact, Judge Taylor, when he was actually a very young child when his family moved to Madison County. And he left behind very detailed notes of what early Madison County was like. Hmm. And he, he like he was like paddling up the Tennessee River and listening to cougars scream in the distance and this, that, and the other. 
And so he, I think it may be Micah even, mm. but, um, so this, this guy that has, is very important to our history due to his recollections is also, uh, he was the judge over this case and judge Taylor's like, I think you may have a legal case here. Let me consider it. Um, so he freezes like. He's like, the Stamp brothers have to put up a $3,000 bond mm-hmm. for their care. They're not allowed to be returned to the Stampses by David Monroe. We're going to just... Stop this whole thing. We're gonna Until we can figure out what's going on, mm-hmm. I don't want someone being sold off in the middle of the night. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, they were probably inspired. That was an aside. This is a very circuitous route. Uh, but they were inspired most likely by John Robinson. Hmm. Uh, John Robinson, 18, tw- January 9th, 1828, he's freed by the Alabama State Legislature. Uh, he had been the slave of a man named John P. Neal. And uh, John Robinson was well-liked in the community. He, in the literal like legislative book, it talks about sundry inhabitants of Madison County petitioning for his freedom, this, that, and the other. So the 11 were probably inspired by John Robinson being able to achieve his freedom. Mm. And we actually even, uh, there's an 1831 statute in Huntsville saying that John Robinson was the only free person of color that was allowed to still rent slaves. So it, goes all the way back around yeah because he had like he had been renting like a cook or something for a year and the madison county or sorry the like huntsville city commissioners had passed a statute saying that free blacks weren't allowed to rent slaves anymore and they were like except this guy you're cool we like you so it was yeah but anyways um so they're inspired by this guy probably, or they would have been aware. Like Huntsville was still a small community. Yeah, and yeah. There, there were only like 20 free black people in Madison County mm, mm-hmm. at this time. So they go and the judge freezes everything and he's like, we're going to figure this out. So comes back November 1828. This is August. They've been kind of just hanging on by pins and needles like what do we do next Mm -hmm. november 1828 the judge is like i have to dismiss this case there's no legal precedence here this is unknown territory exactly uh they were actually six years ahead of time in 1834 the alabama state legislature was like you know what judges can handle manumission and emancipation cases now Mm. Uh, the Alabama state legislature had tremendous power over people's day-to-day lives. Hmm. They would do things like they were the ones that handled divorce cases up until like the 1820s and 1830s. Um, they were actually Alabama state legislature still had to approve divorce cases up until 1861 when Alabama seceded. And one of the first things they, that they hmm. did as a Confederate state was actually be like, we don't want to handle divorce cases anymore. <laughs> um, now, was that based in Huntsville, the, the legislature back then? Or was uh, that uh, Very still... briefly. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had multiple capitals. Mm, yeah, yeah. 
so St. Stephen, so Huntsville was where the first constitution was written for the state of Alabama. Mm -hmm. Then St. Stephen's, then Tuscaloosa, um, and then eventually Montgomery. There was, Mm. I think, another city in there somewhere. Just like migrated down south to it. Yeah, it it moved around a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, it was in Tuscaloosa for a while, but then it got flooded, and it kept getting flooded. <laughs> they were like, nah. And they were like, maybe we should move away from a river. <laughs> Possibly. And so, bam. And, uh, yeah, the state legislature would do things. They were, like, in control of individual people's pensions. Jeez. They would, yeah, they were also, like, back then people had to be assigned to take care of portions of roads. Mm-hmm. And so there's like multiple laws where the state legislature was like, Ben Job didn't take care of this road in Huntsville and we're going <laughs> to fine him $5. And it's like, why is this a state level issue? Right. Yeah. So, yeah, the Alabama legislature in 1834 was like, we're so tired of hearing manumission cases mm-hmm. because a lot of people in the state of Alabama, they would be like, Okay, well, I'm about to die. I figure y'all could be free for mm-hmm. a few years before you died too. Manumitted. And then it would have to go all the way to Montgomery and work its way through and it was just clogging up the mm-hmm. machinery of laws. And so they and so these people were 6 years ahead of their time. Right. Coming after a judge are going to a judge, not coming out. It's not like they were like in the middle of the night, like <laughs> Judge Taylor. Hear our case or else. Exactly. Um, so, and it, the the word monument um, is that just in cases of death, or can you define that one? Oh yeah, I should probably. <laughs> you uh, got the. Sorry, uh, manumission mm-hmm. is when a slave owner willingly frees a an enslaved person. Mm-hmm emancipation is when a government is like uh this is this 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 stuff ain't cool it's over now which is Mm -hmm. why there's the emancipation proclamation right um in the united states the and in the the british empire the british empire managed to do manumission where they paid off slave owners and they were like willingly like, hey, y'all, mm-hmm. stop having slaves. Here's money. Right. Sign up for our brand new program where we give you $50. Mm-hmm. Um, the only place that was ever tried in the United States was in the was in Washington, D.C., in the District of Columbia, hmm. where they went and, like, paid off slave owners, and they were, like, willingly, like, oh, all right, that seems reasonable. Um and a lot of people are like, well, why didn't the U.S. just do what Great Britain did, this, that, and the other? Well, I mean, at the time, the British Empire had one million slaves total. The United States had four million. Wow. Yeah, we were very much like a big, mm-hmm. this, is, this, is, this is a real cornerstone of American history. Um, but yeah, so manumission is when the slaveholder is like, enslaved people you're no longer enslaved emancipation is when an outside force comes in and is like enslaved people you're no longer enslaved Mm -hmm. right Uh, so he dismissed the case like uh what did that mean for them well he dismissed the case he was like i can't legally hold Mm -hmm. like do this case 
And then in the court case, it talks about they were going to appeal to the Alabama State Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. And then I went and I searched. I was like, yeah, 1828 Supreme Court cases, nothing. 1829, 1830. And it looks like the state Supreme Court just declined to hear their case. Mm. And so we don't know what happened to them after that. Right. So there's just this very brief moment where these 11 people came incredibly close Mm -hmm. to changing the state law because if they had gone all the way to the Alabama state Supreme court and it had decided in or against their favor, it would have changed precedence Mm -hmm. in Alabama completely and opened up a whole new can of worms. Oh yeah. So in 1834 state legislature says, fine. Judges can handle manumission at the local level. Mm -hmm. 1837, a case reaches the Alabama State Supreme Court, Trotter v. Blocker. That was, yeah, Trotter v. Blocker. And what this ends up doing is it actually ends up making it illegal for slaves to be manumitted in wills. Hmm. Yeah. And, like, deathbed manumissions, this, that, and the other. Because, like I was saying, a lot of smaller slaveholders would be, like, about to die, and they'd be like, you're free. Right. And so their heirs or their debtors, right, would be like, but I wanted to steal that person's labor. Mm-hmm. And so there was just this three-year period where it was where judges could decide. There was a chance, level. yeah. Exactly. And then mm-hmm. suddenly... 1837 Alabama State Supreme Court's like no. Well, it's surprising just to hear the like the back and forth and at least there there was some evidence of uh some some dissent on it, you know? Cuz yeah. a lot of times you just think of it as like bad bad chunks of history and I mean I, I mean it still was that, but it's like interesting to see the push and pull of the different like uh, I guess lawmaking bodies and all that stuff. I mean absolutely. There were legislators like state Mm -hmm. legislators in florida and sorry not florida in georgia who were getting up in the 1820s and they were like slavery is uh evil and we have to hopefully in the future end it like that was the thing like people in the time knew it was bad right they knew it was jacked up and you knew from the deathbed like where people are like "Uh, i really just can't die knowing yeah i'm gonna leave this whole family or something like trapped in this system exactly and so like there there were people like in their wills who were like i don't want to go to hell right i'm going to free all my slaves like Mm -hmm. that's the thing people knew it was wrong they did it anyway it mm-hmm. wasn't until like the 1840s and 1850s that you started really getting all of this rhetoric like this is the natural way of the world and the best possible thing like that is very late stage slavery mm. all of the previous stuff like they they knew they were in the wrong and yeah. they were, and so these deathbed manumissions people were trying to like leave a better mark on the world and so it's it's kind of like well if you were shitty your whole life Mm -hmm. is the fact that you're like a little less awful the last five hours you're here is that cool yeah 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 and so that's really 
where we're at. I do have a few more, one more really interesting thing mm-hmm. about this case. And it is in, it's in that their descriptions, they call them people of color mm-hmm. instead of, instead of um, Negro. And there's a really important distinction here. Mm. Is I think in I think that all right. So in court cases, when there's free blacks, they always call them free man of color or people of color, mm-hmm. and they're basically saying this is a fully free human. They just happen to be a tinge darker. Mm-hmm. When they're talking about slaves, they always call them like Negro slave. Always, every case, every time, no matter what. And so when I was reading through this again and I noticed that every time they talk about them in this in this mm-hmm. court case, even though they're still technically enslaved, they always call them people of color. Hmm. And so I genuinely think that the people in Madison County at the time, or at least the legally minded ones, thought that they had a real shot mm-hmm. of at freedom. They, well, they definitely have, like, a, a, there's just such a big chain of people yeah. uh, fighting over their rights when originally they should have been, they could have been uh, freed a long time ago. Exactly. Do you think they ended up, like, under the care, quote-unquote, I won't say that, or, the, like, their owners being the brothers? I, I definitely think that they probably... Probably reverted back to them. Yeah, especially because... Uh, the brothers were the executors of the estate. And mm-hmm. so technically they were still part of the estate of William Stamps. Right. Um, once that got handled, mm-hmm. we don't know how they got split up. For sure. Yeah. And so they probably like, it probably ended up half and half. And it was mm-hmm. really, it would have been really awful because they had spent all these previous years together. They were obviously all related. Mm-hmm. Like the children... It literally, like Minerva, Sally, Cornelius, and the unnamed baby, those are the increase of the adults. Mm-hmm. Those are their kids. The adults are in relationships with each other, most likely. This is like a closely related, maybe couple of families. Yeah. Like maybe cousins or something. Like, right. It's, yeah. And so, yeah, just that people of color moniker that they had mm-hmm. makes me think that people were like, I think they have a shot. What was that used pretty early on? Like before these cases and all that, but, uh, yeah. Just using it just like during the first, I guess, uh, free black people that were, uh, That's, established, they started using that maybe. Yeah. They were just traditionally mm-hmm. called like people of color, like court cases in mobile because mobile had the largest free black population mm-hmm. in the state calling people of color um in do you know like about when the earliest uh cases of that oh, were being called um well it's a term that was inherited from the french and spanish mm-hmm. and so from like, the beginning maybe yeah like the 1600s after the colonies became like, uh no like in virginia when it was still mm-hmm. under when it was still like the 1670s and mm-hmm. stuff like um there's they have mentions of people of color and then they always 
use like a that separate term uh the separate spanish term mm-hmm. for enslaved folks and so yeah yeah it's interesting there was like stratification uh even within like the from the slave community i guess that i mean just that alone i mean if you're if you're an enslaved person and you just randomly get to chat with like a free person yeah like what you would obviously i'd be asked like how did you get there like what's <laughs> what what's going on and i mean just that like stratification is interesting like well, the dynamic for it and that's and them and i uh, man as a free person you'd probably be like always got your papers on you be like here here i am I'm definitely free, by the way. I'm well, not going out, going out uh, into the the bayou or anything today. <laughs> like, one of the really fascinating things is the fact that uh, free blacks did have to carry passes. Yeah, and so we have really vivid physical descriptions of them mm. from the past systems. Mm-hmm. And so the same thing happened for actually for sailors, right? Because your earliest passport was not a photo because those didn't exist. Yeah. And so it would just be a very vivid phys- physical description. They'd be like, you got a scar on your left elbow and you got a birthmark yeah. here, et cetera. And so the slave passes functioned the exact same way. Mm. And so we know like, okay, this guy was like six foot tall and was missing his left eye and had like multiple tattoos. And yeah. Yeah. So we have very like, and we know like the, the skin color, like, like, you know, like how dark or how light a person was and hmm. and their height and it's actually interesting uh someone went and compared that to passports for like european sailors or whatever and found that on average free blacks who would still be the poorest members of society in mm-hmm. the u.s just because the American diet at the time was so much more varied and mm. open, uh, we're usually taller and healthier huh. than like European immigrants. Interesting. Yeah, but if you if you are the slave power, you you're gonna do everything you can to like keep free blacks mm-hmm. far away from enslaved people. Oh because yeah, because yeah. they're a constant reminder that hey, it doesn't have to be this way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, John, I'm so glad you're back. Like, got so so many tales to tell in future episodes. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, it's it's this huge, um, especially Huntsville changing a lot. We got to remember all the things that have happened in the past and like how we can be better. I mean, because I mean, a lot of these people that we're talking about in these court cases, they're probably like their great 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 grandkid is probably your neighbor or something. Yes. Like, I mean, people, I mean, I stick around the South because I like it. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's very, there's a very good chance that there's someone named, well, I mean, any last name, actually. Yeah. There's a good (laughs) chance that, like, the descendants of all of these people are, like, living down the street Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. they could be in Montana. Like, America's crazy. So, do you have any, uh, like, projects you're eager to seek your teeth into like uh now that you're back or anything i nagging at you i gotta finish writing this book yeah <laughs> <laughs> how much longer you got on it, is it, is it a- oh uh, i i have until like september october but mm-hmm. I that's know. not something you want to go up against you're like oh i just throw twenty thousand more words yeah no i, I don't know how long it takes to write so many words but <laughs> i mean i gotta i gotta definitely <laughs> there's so much work 
Oh, yeah. But I, I also want to keep updating Hunt's Villain mm-hmm. and the new research. I've mm-hmm. been doing a lot of it. Been finding crazy stuff. Do you think there's anybody like with um, old family texts that are helpful at all? Like I wonder. I I imagine there's a lot of people that are like really into ancestry and all this stuff, and they and some of them have like old logs, old almanacs, stuff like that. Do you yeah. think there's anything like that that's like could be helpful research wise? So one of the amazing things is that uh, people have attics. And mm. those addicts sometimes do contain like diaries and things yeah. like that. And so it would be very, very exciting if anyone happened to find just anything. Mm-hmm. If you old, find old, old stuff, if you find something cool about the history mm-hmm. of Huntsville, I would love to come take a look at it mm-hmm. and tell you whether or not it's important. <laughs> uh, it, I mean, it could be like, you know, like, especially if it is, like, a day-in-the-life thing, that'd mm-hmm. be great. Oh, yeah. Because you never know. Like, a really good example is uh, the Barber of Natchez. Mm-hmm. Uh, these guys just stumbled upon in an archive where a free black person in Mississippi in the 1820s who was a barber had decided to record every part of his day-to-day life and left wow. behind, like, 2,000 pages. Wow. And it's like it's such an insight into like this is what it was like to be around in Mm -hmm. Mississippi all the way up to the Civil War. So, yeah, if uh, if you find 2000 pages of like crazy good historical (laughs) documents, holler at your boy, as they say. John will uh, piece through the L's and the I's and the what's the A's L and I, I guess, are probably the worst ones. W's, N's, M's. All the letters look like each other if you write too fast. <laughs> All the old Southerners wrote in Elvish, we now know. It's true. So, wait, wait was it, is it the... I know in cursive, I don't even know if they teach cursive to kids anymore. These kids, they look like literal hieroglyphics to some kids these days, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. But uh, I guess, like, the N's got two, two like, bumps or whatever. And is was it was it always like that, like, in, in the stuff you read back in the 1800s? Or is there some weird, like, letter letter changes the amount of times that i've had to like zoom in like a hundred percent on a word enhance yeah no i'm just like enhance and (laughs) and i'm like is that a w is that an l and so you kind of you have to sometimes use context clues Mm because a lot of the stuff is really simple to read once you Mm -hmm. get the handle of it but you'll run into words or they just start using latin in the middle of a sentence and you're like now I gotta learn that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure your Latin's gone way up since you started reading this old stuff. Is I, it is it a lot of legal scripts have that stuff in it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm. Like I had to learn what like scary fascius meant, things mm. like that. And we we gotta do an episode in the future. Like Latin Latin with John. N- no. Basically <laughs> you're like, please no. <laughs> so bad. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm so excited you're back. There's so much so much more to talk about. But uh, I guess the the website's still going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so y'all can check it out on there. We didn't we didn't update for like a year and a half, but this was <laughs> the first this was the first update back in like the new era of mm-hmm. Huntsville, and, and I hope to I hope to keep writing. Yeah, for sure. And I mean the book on the way. That's super excited. I 
terrifying. <laughs> I know. I know it's going to be good because you're because I've already seen the uh, the evidence. So yeah. I, I'm not scared at all. I'm sure you. <laughs> like, oh, I know it's going to be perfect. Of course. Or it's it's always going to be really interesting just because the perspective is amazing. I mean, yeah. And it's like people have been here a long time, guys. Stuff happened. <laughs> stuff and we're gonna talk about it on hunts villain find out next week <laughs> what else happened for sure uh, uh, man we need the uh what, what do they call that a billboard or something like we'll talk about uh the 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 most famous judge or something i don't know i don't know where i'm going with this <laughs> reality tv 1823 <laughs> they didn't have a tv then ben <laughs> Shh, don't tell the kids that they'll freak out but uh, but all right we'll be back with more hunts villain stay stay tuned i don't it's gonna be probably like a month before the next <laughs> update you should go live your life yeah merry christmas or happy holidays yeah, or yeah. Um, festivus hunts villain is a podcast recorded at spice rack studios in huntsville alabama you can check out John's blog with information from the podcast and more info at huntsvillain.wordpress.com and on Facebook under Hunts Villain. The podcast is hosted and written by Mr. John O'Brien and co-hosted by Ben Joe. Thank you to our donors and volunteers who are the sole supporters of Spice Radio. If you want to help support Spice Radio, go to spiceradiohuntsville.com and click donate. And remember, you can find great local music and podcasts 24-7 at spiceradiohuntsville.com. Thanks for listening and stay spicy.